You're listening to Fueling the Future of Transport, hosted by Tammy Klein, the founder and CEO of Transport Energy Strategies. We'll talk all about the fuels and energy it takes to keep the world moving forward. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show today. I'm so happy to have with me David Carpintero. David is Director General of ePure in Europe um, and represents the um, ethanol industry uh, in the region. So we're going to talk uh, the state of the industry. We're going to talk Fit for 55. We're going to talk about other policy issues. And I'm really, really excited to have him on the program today. So David, welcome to the show. Thank you, Demi. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to have you. So for the listeners, I sort of gave a little teaser about uh, ePure, but for the listeners who aren't familiar with the organization, can you talk a little bit more about ePure and its members and uh, what it does and what you do? Absolutely. Absolutely, Tammy. So uh, ePure is the association that represents the European producers of uh, renewable ethanol. Uh, we can say we are the, the voice of the European uh, ethanol industry. We, as an association, we have a company which are members of the association. We have 22 producing uh, companies, uh, which are members of uh, the board of EPUR. And then in addition to that, we have uh, 18 associate members. We are very public on who is our member. If you go to our website, Tammy, you can see listed uh, every, everyone which is, which is a member. We are based in Brussels. Uh, we have our offices very close to the heart of Brussels, uh, close to Place Schumann. And uh, from our offices is uh, uh, where we uh, stay here as, as a team. We are a small team, uh, kind of uh, dealing with the responsibility of acting as the secretariat of uh, such an organization. So what is the state of the industry currently in the EU and what's the market like? in your view? Yeah, so we um, uh, are, uh, I mean, in our members, they have uh, 50 biorefineries across the European Union and also the UK. Huh? In our session, we also include mm-hmm. our UK members. Uh, our install capacity in 2021, I think, was uh, a bit more than 6 billion litres. And that represents, I would say, to me, around 85% of the total uh, European ethanol uh, production. So in these 50 biorefineries, I mean, you're familiar, and uh, your listeners are very familiar with what does a, a biorefinery, what are the products. So uh, uh, we produce uh, ethanol, actually, um, we produce in 2021 uh, 4.4 million tons, here expressing tons of, of ethanol, but we produce even more, a higher quantity of um, protein-rich food and feed. We produce 4.5 uh, million tons. Uh, and then in addition to that, we produce around 1 million tons of uh, some other co-products like corn oil and, and others. And then we captured uh, a little uh, a little bit above one uh, million tons of CO2, biogenic CO2. So I think we captured uh, around uh, close to a third of uh, the total uh, biogenic CO2 production in Europe in, wow. in our plants. I did not yeah. know that, actually. <laughs> yeah, and I know a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's quite substantial. And 
I'll touch uh, at some moment if you want in our conversation, Tammy, on the progression that our industry in Europe has made in improving our GAG savings is part yeah. of it. Yeah. And it's been a phenomenal story. Yeah, yeah. So I want to get into that a little bit later, especially as it concerns sort of uh, like where the policies are going in, in Europe. But I think the first thing I want to ask you is, for many years, you know, there's been, you know, we have the E10 in the, U- in the U.S. We have uh, E10 plus, actually, we, we're, we're marching towards E15, slowly but surely. Um and then, you know, there are higher level blends in Europe, E25, E27 uh, plus, and then there, there are similar levels in other countries. Europe is somewhere between, what, 5 and 7%. Do you foresee an opportunity to bring the EU to 10 volume percent ethanol for its gasoline petrol pool or, or even more? I mean, we should already be in Europe at 10% all over Europe. Uh, amazingly, there are some member states who have not yet moved into E10. They remain in E5. So, I mean, if you look into most of European member states, Belgium, Bulgaria, Denmark, Estonia, Finland, France, Germany, Hungary, Latvia, Lithuania, Luxembourg, the Netherlands, Romania, Slovakia, Sweden, all they moved. Finally, this year, uh, we see progress in Ireland, moving to E10. We see progress in Austria, uh, it's moving to E10. We see progress in Poland. I think we'll move to E10 in the coming few months. Uh, Norway is not the European Union, but it's still part of Europe. Right, and right. they are also moving into E10. And uh, amazingly, we see countries like uh, my own country, Spain. I mean, tell me, when I drive from Brussels down to Madrid, I feel up here in uh, Belgium with E10. Mm-hmm. When I cross France, I can feel as well with E10, looking with some envy to those filling up with E85 huh, in France. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, my car is not uh, ready uh, for E85, uh, but some envy, I mean, given the price difference, it becomes quite attractive. And when I cross the border between France and Spain, it's like going to the past. I mean, I just see. I'm surprised to hear that about Spain, of all countries, yeah, with all uh, of its movements. And, it, it, it's uh, very surprising uh, that Spain is lagging in in the carbonation, diffusalizing transport so much. Uh, we are not uh, really up to our responsibility to the carbonizing uh, road transport, especially. Uh, I hope the, the Spanish government. Uh, uh, we'll have to react at, at some moment. Uh, uh, I don't know who will be in the Spanish government after the, the election, but I think whoever has the responsibility to manage government responsibilities in Spain, we look at the need to also decarbonize transport. And what's Tommy, what else better to take fossil transport than ethanol, right? right. Uh, when it comes to road transport, is um, available. It's, uh, it works uh, to do the fossil transport. Uh, is is uh, also social inclusive. I mean, it's the cheapest cost uh, per unit of uh, CO2 abated. So, so uh, I mean, it's, it's a great tool, and I hope that we'll see some progress in, in Spain soon with a, a, a new government, whoever is in this position. And Italy as well, uh, they are taking... Uh, I think some defense on the use of biofuels at the European level, but still we don't see this a reality 
yeah, the uh, pump uh, in, in Italy there. So um, I want to ask you about advanced ethanol, because when you look at it, you know, you would think, you know, that there would be much more development, right, in the U.S. Um, because we have a larger gasoline pool. We have a lot of ethanol blending. It's very well established. You know, we've had a lot of R&D going on over the years on various assorted uh, feedstocks and technologies to produce advanced ethanol, and they, they still are going on. We've had a, a blend wall uh, issue, in my es estimation, uh, that's made conventional blending until now, you know, cheaper than sort of the, the advanced side. Well, I always thought it was really curious to see you know, you would think that, the, that there would be much more going on in the U.S., but there's actually a lot going on in Europe with advanced ethanol technologies. So can you talk a little bit more about that and how the industry is scaling up there? I think that's a really interesting sort of dichotomy and, and development. Uh, absolutely, Tammy. So uh, uh, indeed, there is a lot going on in policy proposals. So the policy direction in, in Europe is really trying to uh, give, um, I wouldn't say unfair, but but uh, uh, really all, all kind of, of kind of opportunities for the development of advanced, uh, which we welcome very much. Eh? We we, we mm -hmm. have one uh, G and also two G uh, uh, producing members. Yeah. Um, but the reality is that the volumes which are helping to the fossilized transport in Europe are still the crop-based uh, uh, volumes. Uh, we don't have uh, yet, uh, unfortunately, the, the volumes we could be expecting uh, at this moment. Um, there are some companies which are taking really uh, very, uh, I mean, initiative we can praise, uh, for example, Clariant, they opened the plant yeah. in Romania. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know that? Uh, Absolutely. So you opened this, this wonderful plant uh, that is going to process 250,000 uh, tons of wheat straw to produce uh, 50,000 uh, tons of uh, second generation ethanol. Uh, and and um, it's, it's not easy, it's very complex. But let's not forget, it was so complex when we were starting with the uh, crop based uh, plants. Huh? Um, I'll, I'll tell you at some moment, but uh, we, we've reached this year 78.4. So, I mean, this is huge progress. And this is thanks to the work that has been done for more than 15 years with a lot of engineering work, investments, in improving the plants, improving the processes, and little by little, continuously. Uh, I mean, if you go to our website, you can go uh, to the annual statistics, mm -hmm. and then you can see the chart that shows the progression in GAG savings that has been obtained in average in Europe in the last uh, 15 years. And this is a story of uh, continuous improvement. It's a story of engineering and hard work to get to this level. Uh, and uh, um, in G2, uh, I think we will see higher volumes uh, in the future. We expect that. But the reality is that for the moment, it is crop-based ethanol, the one that is providing the volumes uh, needed to the fossil transport as well in Europe. So can you talk about some of the biggest challenges and opportunities right now? I mean, we're, we're already beginning to hit on a few. I mean, in terms of the opportunities, you know, to reach a near 80% greenhouse gas savings, the capture of biogenic 
CO2. I mean, those are really, really good stories to tell. But can you can you talk about what some of the other challenges are and also other opportunities? Absolutely. So as you know, we are now in the revision of the RED2, the Renewable Energy Directive, uh, within the framework of the Fit for 55 uh, uh, strategy. And in this review, we basically kind of change the crop cap that we have here in Europe for renewable ethanol. So uh, we are going to move into a crop cap at uh, uh, in a level at uh, the share that we have in 2020, uh, plus 1%, with a 7% uh, limit per member state. So at the moment, I mean, we are, I think, on an uptake uh, of around 3. Point, uh, I think 7% mm -hmm. uh, for 2022 values. Uh, I think it was quite similar in 2020. So if we add 1% to, I mean, as an increased volume to 3.5, it's around 27% additional volume of crop cap we could produce in Europe. I mean, this is kind of a just a, an approximation because it's not the detailed calculation per member state. But that reflects to you that um, the amount of uh, additional volumes of uh, crop-based ethanol uh, could increase, let's say, by 20%, 25%, but not much more. So uh, at some moment, where are we going to get the volumes needed to continue to the fossil fuel transport as we move to E10? But not only that, Tammy. As you know, in Europe, we are already talking about E20. Right. So the technical teams discussing the standards, the normalization for uh, 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 fuels uh, are already kind of agreeing, for example, that uh, very likely uh, future E20 will contain in Europe an octane of 98. Uh, and these works continue. So I yeah. hope that uh, E20 will be a reality in Europe in a few years' time. So how are we going to produce all these volumes of ethanol, uh, is 2G going to respond to the expectations? We hope so. Yeah. Uh, but at some moment, probably, we'll have to rethink maybe the, the crop cap, um, provided always that we are always uh, addressing all the sus needed sustainability criteria, for sure. Right. Yeah. Uh, but we'll have to, to look uh, into it. I remember in your last uh, podcast with, uh, with Anders, Yes. <laughs> the 2035. Right. Uh, kind of, uh, some people say it's going to be the end of the internal combustion engine, no? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, we know that's not How the reality. How do you reality. see it? Yeah, we know it's not the reality. I mean, do we know what happened to to kind of the final stages eh, in the, when they needed a, a final endorsement from the council, this yeah. blocking minority by a number of European member states. Yeah. The negotiations that the commission then at that moment uh, opened with Germany related to the UCC fuels, mm -hmm. but the reality is that we are still pending a definition of CO2 neutral fuel. Mm -hmm. So that is what going to be kind of accepted, what is being within this definition of CO2 neutral fuel after 2035. So uh, I think that the future of biofuels will be linked to e-fuels. Both we consider without the other. I think the same way we are now probably going to develop in a few years in Europe uh, E20 blend, where we'll have up to 20% renewable ethanol and 80% uh, gasoline. Probably post-2035, we will see an E20 that will be probably 
up to 20% ethanol, but then maybe 80% maybe of a methanol to gasoline e-fuel. Interesting. So that, that could be a reality. So even mm -hmm. at some moment, the standards could even could even apply. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I think this is this is probably some of the opportunities that will open in the future. But also, and this is important time in here in Europe, we have this CO2 regulation for cars. The yes. one that said that after 2035, we need to go 100% uh, uh, emission savings. But they also say in this regulation that in the European Union, we need to move to not to a pipeline, I mean, to, to a pipe kind of methodology. Um, we need to move into a life cycle assessment methodology. Right. And what we see once and again with different studies is that when you move to life cycle assessment approaches, and if you have, for example, the pure ice car with uh, all fossil fuels, but also you have the plug-in hybrid working with E85, mm -hmm. let's say, for example, and you have the battery electric vehicle, the interesting thing is that now, with the level of emissions of electricity, the level of emissions from producing the car and the tires, producing the battery and the consumption of the vehicle along the life of, of, of the vehicle. For example, in one of the studies made in France by a well-respected uh, technological institute, we, they, 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 they concluded that the life cycle emissions of the plug-in hybrid with the 85 were at the same level of the battery electric vehicle, at yes. the same level now. And that in France, where they have a lot of nuclear energy, so the footprint is lower for uh, electricity. So if you get the um, electricity mix of the European Union, uh, actually the plug-in hybrid is performing better right. uh, than the battery electric vehicle. But the same applies, for example, in a 2040 scenario on, on this study. So I think things will happen in Europe where we will be able to use all different options. Because the challenge is so much, Tammy, that we need to use all available options. Right. Battery electric vehicle is essential. And I think new um, internal combustion engine approaches, um, powertrains, where we are able to use and benefit from both um, biofuels and e-fuels, uh, will be part of how we tackle with this big issue of the fossilization transport. So it sounds to me like what you're saying is, and, and the, we're going to get into the to the policy environment next, or, or sort of continue, that despite the fact that under Fit for 55 there's a you know 100 CO2 um, uh, removal requirement for the the cars going forward, um, that that CO2 reg, uh, regulation which is now sort of on its way to, to final approval post the protesting from Germany and <laughs> Italy and some other, other countries. It sounds like what you're saying is there's really an opportunity, probably I would guess in the midterm review process to maybe rethink or expand our notion of what's possible to achieve that in the um, any new internal combustion engine vehicle that is sold uh, pre-2035 and in the legacy fleet, which is probably going to remain substantial. 
Indeed, and I think we might see some, and I hope we see some technological developments. I mentioned that uh, the, the, the E20 standard was now being discussed with an octane of uh, 98. If that's possible, I would say that uh, we will have to see some car manufacturers trying to take advantage of the kind of a high octane uh, value uh, and maybe try to offer higher compression rates right. here that would increase uh, the overall uh, efficiency and therefore sustainability. Uh, and I think that if you take all these factors into account, uh, uh, and if we continue this excellent work has, that has taken so far in improving the GAG savings for the European producers of renewable ethanol, we can offer solutions for citizens uh, that work in order to the fossil in transport. So uh, the work needs to continue. We need to continue improving our GAG savings as an industry. Uh, this is something that we are doing here in Europe, uh, the same way you are doing it in the US. Mm -hmm. uh, and in the US, you had this excellent study a couple of years ago on pathway to net zero. Mm -hmm. So, so um, I think in both sides of the Atlantic, we need to continue improving the savings and uh, providing uh, society with uh, more alternatives. So let's get into it further with respect to the to the policy environment. We've been talking about some things um, already. What has been, um, first of all, the, actually what I want to ask you first of all is, do you think, based on what we were just talking about, that there is interest and openness from the commission and from the parliament in sort of having those discussions, you know, are they interested in a the potential blend that you mentioned, sort of an E20 with sort of a methanol-based um, sort of e-fuel blend? Are they are they looking at these kinds of things? Are they interested in in having these kinds of discussions? Because it seems to me um, the interest has been largely on electrification, but it's kind of like well we do kind of have this legacy fleet. What are we doing? You know, not everybody's going to go out and buy an electric vehicle <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> Would that everybody could. Um, and some people like their internal combustion engine vehicles. Yeah, but they, they, there are also different mobility needs, Tammy. Exactly, so right. In some right. cases, uh, 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 a battery electric vehicle is, is, a, is an excellent solution. No, I mean, you have in urban traffic, in areas where you have a... Uh, multiple options to recharge. Exactly, uh, right, right. Uh, I mean, battery electric vehicle is, is a, an ideal solution, but that's not always the reality. Right. Uh, if I go to see some relatives in a remote uh, rural area in Spain, I tell you, I <laughs> in a hard situation. If I only have a not going to be finding any fast charging, I don't think. Not yet. <laughs> no, no, not yet. And, Same story uh, here. Uh, and uh, probably the the, the range uh, will not cover my needs, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it becomes uh, more complex. And uh, right. I mean, if it is winter and suddenly your uh, uh, chart capacity is dropping unexpectedly, uh, I mean, it's, it's not ideal situation, right? So right, right. we have answers for that those mobility needs. Right. So I, I think this is part of the challenge: how uh, policymakers are able to provide options that satisfy the different mobility needs. Right. Some cars are private cars, so their cars are part of a fleet and they have a fleet manager. So, so you know, there are different complexities, different right. situations 
and for that we need different solutions. Right. That's why I think a, a, as an industry, we need to work together all the different parties involved to, to make sure uh, we deliver optimal uh, solutions in every front. So what has been your members' reaction to the whole range of policies that have been proposed and now some are finalized, like the, the CO2 uh, regulation um, under Fit for 55, particularly Red 3? Um, you know, do you believe at the end of the day that, that policymakers sort of get um, the contribution that ethanol can make to the sort of the whole mobility landscape like you were just talking about, CO2 reduction landscape for mobility. Uh, absolutely to me. So so red red the revision of red two, also called red three, um is is bringing higher ambition when it comes to uh fossilizing transport. Uh, so at the moment we are at uh, 2021 values at uh, uh Basically, we, we had to reach on 2020 the, the 10% uh, uh, values, uh, and we had previously a target of 14%. At the moment, we are at uh, 10% in 2020, went down to 9% in 2021. Um, but that's because we are using multipliers. I don't know if this word results with your multipliers. So. That's part of some trick we have here in Europe, which is that, uh, I mean, if you are using uh, crop-based ethanol, that counts for the volume you are replacing. But if you are using an advanced biofuel, it counts double. Mm -hmm. But if you are using renewable electricity, you know, it counts at four times yeah. the volume you are replacing. Uh, so that is a little accounting trick. Eh? But nonetheless, I mean, uh, uh, the target that we have previously was uh, 14%. And um, the revision of the two is moving it up to 29%. So if we are at the moment at 9%, 2021, 2022, 2023, and we want to go in 2030 to 29%. Mm -hmm. You will say, well, is that going to be doable? Uh, so let's see where is we're it? coming. <laughs> uh, but I mean, in 2010, we were below 5%. Mm -hmm. So in more than 10 years, we have just progressed from 5% to 9%, including multipliers. Without multipliers, we've moved from 5% to almost 7%. Right. And we want to reach in 2030, a target of 29% uh, is, is very ambitious. So <laughs> I think member states will have to implement policies that really favor the adoption of all the available solutions, because otherwise we are not going to be able to reach uh, these targets. Uh, uh, and there is a responsibility for member states here. I mean, they, they, they commit to this target. They also have the possibility to get a target expressed in um, GAG savings mm -hmm. uh, beyond the one on uh, volume. And um, they will have to use every every available technology. There is not going to be other solution here. Uh, there is going to be a legacy fleet here on the roads. Yeah. Uh, and as uh, you said, uh, we need to make sure 
we discarbonize as much as possible the existing fleet as well. And there will be also new cars. If you look to new vehicle uh, uh, sales in Europe, uh, that's interesting. Um, in 2022, new car registrations were uh, only gas, only, only petrol, only gasoline, 36% of the new car okay. sales. Okay. Diesel is still at above 16%. And the 47% were divided between 12% battery electric vehicles, uh, less than 10% uh, 9.4 plug-in hybrids, 22% uh, normal hybrids, and then others at uh, uh, 3%. Hmm. So, I mean, the Europeans are still buying the classic uh, internal combustion engine cars. And of course, if you look at the current fleet, is a uh, 93% uh, uh, gasoline or uh, diesel. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so uh, it's not going to go down by 2030. <laughs> no. <laughs> Substantially. Uh, I mean, when you see the sales of new cars, so it needs to continue to be a significant component of. Um, the solutions to the fossilized road transport in Europe. And as I said, uh, within renewable ethanol, agro-based steel is, is the major kind of driver of the uh, fossilization. So it still needs to play a very significant role here in Europe as well. Well, David, thank you so much for coming on the show today and talking to us about uh, the ethanol industry now and in the future. Um, in the EU, and I look forward to staying in touch and continuing to follow the work that you guys are doing there. Absolutely. With pleasure, Tammy. Thank you. You've been listening to Fueling the Future of Transport. This show is hosted and edited by Tammy Klein, produced by Carolyn Schneer, and engineered by Alexander Nikolic. To hear more great episodes of this show, learn more, and sign up for a free bi-weekly newsletter, visit transportenergystrategies.com.